You are listening to the Two Sorry Excuses podcast. And for that, I apologize. Hello, and thanks for downloading the Two Sorry Excuses podcast, recording live via via the internet. I'm your old pal, Sanders. And I'm your good buddy, Liz. And if you are keeping score at home, this is episode 167, the Valentine's Day Dance Edition. Nice. So, uh, Livy, we're back. We're back into the... Wait, did you call me Livy? I did. Oh, okay, nice. Carla would appreciate that. Oh, is that her little pet name for you? Yes. Hi, Livy. <laughs> You're piggy, Livy. <laughs> don't be so, don't be piggy, BCP. <laughs> uh, we are we're back. We're gonna delve back into the Carl W. Getz Once in a Lifetime Yearbook, uh, but this time we're gonna hit the eighth grade edition. Wow. So last we left our hero. A seventh grade Matthew DeSantis. Um, he was cut from the uh, boy soccer team before school had even started. He joined the wrestling team. He befriended his elementary school friend, Diane Zaberski. Yep. We chatted about a little bit last time. He made a new friend in Jay Kohler, although he was slightly disappointed in Jay Kohler's commitment to their friendship come the end of seventh grade, but I think that was just uh that was just a feeling out process. I think they were they were actually friends, even though Jay's yearbook poems wouldn't indicate that. And he was Entering a burgeoning romance with Christine Matajewski. Although we found out, not his first paramour in seventh grade. There was a couple others. And paramour? I, what, paramour? Is, I believe the definition that, of paramour is an illicit lover. Yes, that's <laughs> it. I had several burgeoning paramours. <laughs> Uh, in seventh grade, although I wasn't able to identify any of them, because um, despite the fact that we've I've had about two weeks to do the research that I promised, I did not crack open any of these books and do any prep on this. So, um, if you thought seventh grade was a sloppy, unfocused mess, um, I think eighth grade is probably going to be just as bad. But there's a couple things, uh, a couple patterns here. Um, I'm not going to meander blindly through this because I have a little better recollection of eighth grade than I do of seventh grade. Okay. Because there's a few key, a few key elements, a few key points um, to eighth grade that were, were pretty major milestones in my development, um, my, my development into adolescence. The first of which was this was the first year since first grade that I was not 
in the gifted and talented program. Uh-oh, uh-oh. This is a, this is a watershed moment in the DeSantis timeline. Correct. Prior to this, the biggest, <clears throat> the biggest blow to my ego was that I was not asked to be a safety hall monitor in sixth grade. I was one of very few fourth graders to be a safety monitor. And in fifth grade, I believe I was a safety monitor captain, despite the fact that sixth graders typically were safety monitor captains. But in sixth grade, I was removed from the safety squad. And the way it was explained to me by uh, my, my teacher, who was also in charge of the safety monitors, was that I had a lot going for me already. He wanted to give a chance to another student to be a safety hall monitor, which I bought. I bought that. I understood that. But in retrospect and looking back, I don't know how much sixth grade Matt DeSantis had going for him. Really, there was only gifted and talented and safety monitor because there were no athletic programs in elementary school. It wasn't like I was the captain of the of the soccer team or captain of the basketball team. Okay. I was in the, I, I helped with the lunchroom. I cleaned up the lunch. Room. I was basically a janitor apprentice, but I guess that was high status back then. You know, I got to roam the halls freely and got to get out of class for a while, but I don't know. I don't know what I was exuding that made my sixth grade teacher believe that I had enough going on for me that I didn't need to be the safety hall. Uh, be, be on the safety hall monitor squad, but he made that unilateral decision and I was left off. It was a bit of a blow to my ego. At first, that was the first time I had not gotten something that was usually bestowed upon students of status. Yeah. Until eighth grade when I was removed from the gifted and talented program, which was a big deal because I was the first, I was one of three. I don't I'm, I'm gonna. I want. I want to paint an accurate picture, but still, it was a pretty, pretty big, um, pretty big achievement. I was one of three second graders to be enrolled in the gifted and talented program because they typically did not enroll you in the gifted and talented program until third grade. Oh, okay. But so, so when you were in second grade, did they go and take you in the classes with? You were with older kids? Yeah. Like doing like enrichment yeah. classes or something? Yeah, we did like, we learned computers and uh, stuff that was supposed to You still to, like, had challenge. your second grade homeroom and all that, but then you went, you had like breakout sessions basically, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It wasn't like, uh, <laughs> remember that old sitcom, Head of the Class? Yeah. It, with it uh, comes Howard Hessman. Antenna TV, and I occasionally watch it. Yes, it wasn't Dennis like that. We and Robin Givens, yeah. We weren't pulled aside to, uh, you know, to be some type of special pilot program. We just were, we were taken out of class and, and given some extra assignments. Um, it, it was because the three of us not only had shown some, some promise and some, uh, some aptitude, we scored very well on some standardized tests. And they said, okay, we got to bring these kids in and challenge them. So from second grade to seventh grade, 
I was in this program, and, and usually with the same kids. In seventh grade, the enrichment teacher, Miss Allen, was telling us about her summer vacation to Alaska. Okay. And I honestly asked her, how did she get there? And she told me she flew to California and drove. I then asked her, what bridge did she go over? Because I didn't know there was a bridge to Alaska. Yeah. And she looked at me quizzically and said, I didn't go over a bridge. I drove to Alaska. To which point I, I argued with her and essentially called her a liar. Because everybody, everybody knows the only way to get to the Isle of Alaska is over a bridge. What grade were you in when this happened? Seventh grade. Uh, eighth, uh, seventh grade. This conversation happened. Wait, in seventh, seventh grade. grade you were insisting that Alaska was an island? Yes, because if you look at any map of the United States, Alaska is an <laughs> Which island. Which is the continental map and then the insets of Hawaii and Alaska. Alaska is an island just <laughs> north of Hawaii. <laughs> Sounds like they have real strict requirements with their uh, gifted and talented program. So needless to say, in eighth grade, I was removed from the, from the gifted and talented program. With without good any reason. With good reason. <laughs> like, I so, thought that was a second grade, third grade, cute story. But seventh grade? <laughs> correct. Correct. Now, all the kids that I was in gifted and talented with remained in gifted and talented. And I stayed in the high track, the what would essentially be a college prep type track where we took algebra and, um, you know, advanced uh, advanced sciences, etc. Uh, so I was still with the smart kids. However, uh, I was no longer in um, in the gifted and talented program. So that's a watershed moment in my eighth grade. In addition, I also quit the wrestling team at this point because I was not doing very well in algebra. So the first semester, I really struggled with algebra, maybe got a B or a C in a lifetime of A's and A minuses. And I think I was lucky to get that B. So I made the conscious decision that I needed to kind of focus and buckle down. So eighth grade starts with not making the soccer team again, getting uh, the boot from Gifted and Talented, and having to quit my extracurricular activity because I'm struggling academically. Despite all that, eighth grade is probably my high water mark, at least socially. Okay. I, I don't, I definitely not academically, but as far as scholastically, I would also put it up there as a high water mark before I get to college. I had a lot going on for me in school from a number of different perspectives, even if my grades weren't the best they had ever been. I was still an A-B student, you know? 
Yeah. Um, but it was all kind of coming together. And, and when I look back on eighth grade, I have fond memories of eighth grade. Unlike seventh grade, where when I picked up that yearbook, I kind of got a weird feeling like maybe this wasn't such a good time in my development. And, and, and maybe because of all the stuff that I had, uh, that you pointed out that I, uh, that I have wiped from my memory. Maybe that's, maybe that's true. <laughs> but eighth grade, I have, I seem to have fond memories of eighth grade and looking, flipping through this yearbook, I can kind of see why. So it, despite the fact that I got off to a good start, I end a eighth grade with a bang. I end eighth grade with a bang because the, I was essentially one of the shining stars of the marquee event of eighth grade, which is the Valentine's Day King and Queen dance. So yeah. I'm in, I'm in uh, the high track homeroom. I'm in a homeroom with some familiar faces. I'm in the homeroom with Marianne McBride. Okay. You remember Marianne McBride? From, yes, from our previous episode. I'm in the homeroom with my good friend, Diane Zaberski. My, my elementary school friend who uh, was just a sweetheart. And uh, like a real nice, good person. And if I had to pick, you know, what's that thing? Like if you got five people you could go to dinner with and it's, you know, it's yeah. Jesus, Jesus. Alive Johnny, or dead, yes. Jesus, Johnny Cash. You know, and then in the fifth one, everybody just throws in Hitler. Leslie Nielsen. Right, right. Diane Zaberski would be one of those five. Diane Zaberski, Hitler, yes. <laughs> uh, Devin Perrine, my, my best friend, my quote-unquote best friend, uh, is in my seventh grade, is in my eighth grade class. Uh, James Doyle. So James Doyle, myself, Devin, James Doyle, and myself were all the second graders in the in the in the enrichment program in the gifted and talented program back at uh at Switlick Elementary School so we've now reunited we 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 parted ways in 7th grade but we've now come back together uh which leads me to believe this is the highest performing academic class there is cuz John Hand is also in this class and John Hand was a smart kid Mike Lacey also a smart kid. Kelly Kitson. This is this is definitely a smart class. Yeah, this is a who's who of smart kids at um at your school. But it also has Marianne McBride. It ha- also has uh, Marianne McBride's um running mate, Julie Staub. And it's got Alyssa Weinberg, who is like So not the best and the brightest, but good people. <laughs> good people. Very good people. <laughs> so um that's my homeroom. It's a pretty good homeroom. It's an established homeroom. It's kind of a, it's not the coolest homeroom, but it's got some it's got some cachet in that homeroom. The coolest homerooms tended to be uh the 300 level homeroom. Okay. Because 300 level is where they put John Smith, Kevin Greer, oh, that bastard. <laughs> Now these eighth grade. Remember when I said in seventh grade, all the eighth graders appeared to be adults to me. Yep. And you pointed out, well, that's because when you get 
to be eighth grade, you're what? You're 13? Yeah, yeah. You still got to puberty, 13, yes. 14, and you you move out of that awkward stage, and you tend to become a little phys- – you become a little more physically mature. And, eighth and- grade, you're a little chubby and stuff. You start – Making the change, yeah. You're you're athletically, uh, you're 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 physically mature. You're you're emotionally mature, at least for this, you know, this group. Well, you start making the change, which is why it sucks so bad. But it's an obvious change between an eighth grader and a seventh grader, you know, because you're still scrawny kid in seventh grade, yeah. But I'm looking back on this, and I'm looking at these these folks who are in eighth grade with me. I don't feel the same. I still feel like these are kids in the moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, in the moment, yeah. But I look back and I remember my freshman year of high school and I remember the seniors at that time. And there's a huge difference between yeah. freshmen and seniors. See, the difference between what you have gone on and what I had gone on was I didn't see seventh graders when I was eighth grade because I got moved to the high school. So I never did have that feeling where I was looking up to eighth graders and vice versa, looking down at anybody. Cause when I was eighth grade, everybody seemed way older than me because I was the bottom of the totem pole at that point. Okay. All right. All right. But you in dig? Looking, I dig in thumbing through these pictures. Uh, there's I'm remembering there's three distinct, actually there's four distinct classes of individuals, right? So essentially, the social, the the four distinct social classes. Yeah, the stratification, within. so to speak. There were uh, the preppies, the prep preppies, right? Yep, the preps. Yep, always got the preps. But there are two levels of preps. There's 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 a level. There's a preps and there's B preps, and jocks fall into the preps right there was no distinct jock class yeah there was there the jocks yeah jocks yeah because they kind of they are kind of the same thing jocks and preps it's people who conform to society so those are the athletes the jocks tended to be the upper echelon preps right those are the most popular kids in the school yep uh john moser Fucking John Moser. Uh, who else here? Uh, John Moser, Chris Clax, uh, Damon Rajvalsky. These are the kids. They're the upper upper echelon preps who are also the jocks. That's why they're the most popular. Then um, all the hot chicks are in that top level, all as well as chicks. their as well as their sidekicks. Right, every hot chick has a sidekick. Um, they're all in that A level. B level preps, that's where I kind of resided. Okay. Now, we talked about we talked about my um my youth sports career going into going in the days before headed off to middle school when I was friends with all those kids who were a year ahead of me. So I had some credibility when I was a seventh grader, I had some some street cred. With the eighth graders, because I was friendly with some of the eighth graders. So when I become an eighth grader, I also know a bunch of the of the A-list prep jock crew. Yeah. So 
I'm not going to go so far as to say I'm straddling the line between A-list and B-listers. I'm firmly a B-lister. But I also have some credibility. I have higher credibility amongst the B-list preps because I've got connections to the A-list preps. <laughs> you got an in. Does it make sense? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I know. You're, you're a B-lister with... A-list contacts. Exactly. Exactly. Then there's the um, then there's the burnouts. Now I don't know if they actually smoked weed and if they were burnt out, but they were the jean jacket wearing Iron Maiden patch sporting long hair burner dudes, heavy metal dudes. Yeah. Now, John Smith, who we learned was the, uh, was the heartthrob of the day, in his eighth grade picture, John Smith is wearing a wife beater. Okay. Because it's required by New Jersey state law, right? The coolest kid in eighth grade needs to wear a wife beater. Correct. John Smith was about 6'4". He had a mustache. Uh, he had long, feathery, uh, beautiful, beautiful hair. Um, and beautiful, beautiful hair. That everybody loved. Especially Marianne McBride. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Marianne McBride and I love John Smith. They just happen to be king and queen uh, together. Uh, but John Smith was the leader of the burnouts. Mike O'Brien, who was actually new to the school, was the leader of the A-list preps. So that's you've, you've got those three stratifications. And then the fourth level was... Um, Special Ed. Special, special Ed. Special needs kids. I, I'm looking through this yearbook, and either Jackson was very, very progressive in their ability to mainstream special needs kids, yeah. or we just had a lot of special kids. Because I'm saying at least 10% of this school population, as I flip through it, are... Visibly identifiable special needs. I'm not talking ADHD. I'm not talking dyslexic. I'm talking special needs. Short bus, as we would have said back in the day, right? Yes, yes. The low, low performing, low performing. So those are the four stratifications, <laughs> the social stratifications, and. Uh, as you could expect, you had a pretty good mix. You had a representative mix uh, in the student council. Okay. So that's that you voted on homeroom reps and then homeroom reps got to be student council reps. And that was like a, a school-wide vote. So that was distributive, right? The distribution of, of, of A-list preps on the student council A-list preps corresponded to the number of A-list preps there were, right? Yeah. So you had a good mix. There were three or four A-list preps and then there were one or two special needs and then the, the rest of them were like, you know, as they say, there's a lot of country, there's a lot of there's a lot of country in the middle. Yeah. Right? The middle class makes up most of most of the of the population and that's what I'm looking at. I happen to be one of the eighth grade class officers. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of where you fall 
on the social pecking order because if you're a class officer, you obviously have enough cachet amongst your own peers in your own social group to rise to the top. To get elected. Correct. Yeah. So I got that going for me. You got some cachet. You got some cachet. In addition, I know for a fact that I had at least... At least two girlfriends in eighth grade. That's a fact. Because, as we'll find out as we scan the yearbook, Christine Matajewski, my seventh... Oh, I wasn't going to say her last name, because that's... Uh, well, you can edit that out. Yeah. Why don't you say it over again right now, and just edit that part out? <laughs> so, um... Christine Warren was my uh, was my seventh grade girlfriend, as we find out. In did you like that? That was an edit noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like watching David Letterman. Christine well, was my seventh grade post. girlfriend. Fix it in post. <laughs> was my seventh grade girlfriend, and uh, that was um, documented. What's it called when you document something? Memorialized. Memorialized. Memorialized yes, in yes, my seventh grade. Uh, in my seventh grade yearbook. I also know for a fact that I dated, and I use that term very loosely, um, Kirsten Panetti. I know that because she made me a mixtape. And it was uh, on the, I don't know what was on the, maybe it wasn't a mixtape, maybe it was just one song, but it was definitely the song by Tiffany, I Think We're Alone Now. Yeah, okay. I think we're alone now. Because 30 years later, anytime I hear that song, Kirsten Panetti pops into my my head. And Kirsten Panetti was cute. She looked like and and carried herself in a very similar fashion. You gotta remember it's the same it's the eighties, right? Yep. She carried herself and resembled slightly uh, Jennifer Grey. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who was very hot Dirty back Dancing. Then. Yes. But you, you got to follow me here. She didn't look like Jennifer Grey as Jennifer Grey was a teenager. She looked like a teenage version of Jennifer Grey post-nose job. Okay. So you follow me? Yeah, Jennifer Grey Post's job I, though is lesser than than Ferris Bueller. Oh, I disagree. Jennifer Grey. Oh, I disagree. I think that once when Jennifer, remember she was on a sitcom. She was on where that she played terrible herself? sitcom that was supposed to be the new Seinfeld. Yes. Yes. And she played herself. Guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it took place in L.A. That was yeah. She was yep, Jennifer Grey. Were, yeah. yeah. And she made, uh, like, she, they poked fun at the fact that she had a nose job, etc. Um, I thought that was a cuter, better-looking Jennifer Grey. So Kirsten Panetti was, in my mind then, was the, was the teenage version of that Jennifer Grey. Okay. But either way, if you're going to go with Ferris Bueller, that's fine. Just you got to make adjustments to the nose. But she had the curly hair and, and, and you know, was kind of like a little boppy and, 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 uh, you know, cheery, you know, in that last scene with Charlie Sheen where she goes, I'm, um, yeah, yeah where she's all like, she's, pup, yeah. and puppy love, basically, yeah. And she yeah. kicks up her heels or whatever, 
Yeah, exactly. That's what Kirsten Panetti was like. She was she was uh, just uh, a ball of sunshine. She was super happy yeah. all the time. Um, and she played the piccolo. Okay. So I feel like you got to be, you know, you got to be light and bouncy and, you know, like whimsical to play the piccolo. Yeah, she yeah, was definitely yeah. my because it's like it, it's not the flute; it's the piccolo. Correct, correct. Yeah. It's, so she was it's, definitely my girlfriend. Uh, then, as we'll find out in in the in the yearbook signatures, it appears that I may have had a third girlfriend named Kirsten. Kristen. Oh, okay, so there's a lot of C. Yeah. A lot of cook going on in my in my life between Christine, Kirsten, and Kristen. So so I could have had two to three girlfriends. So I'm on the student council and I, I, I have a relatively active social life. So that's making up for the fact that I'm not playing any sports. I'm basically failing algebra and I got the scarlet letter. Of being kicked out of gifted and talented. But the high water mark of the eighth grade comes at the at the eighth grade Valentine's Day dance. This is where they uh This is the highlight. This is the highlight. This this is the highlight, I think, until I get to college and get my top 10 list printed on a Fagan's t-shirt. Okay. So that's a long time. You're talking half of, of eighth grade, all four years of high school, and two and a half years of college. Damn, man. That I, I can point back and That's to, even nothing. You're just starting to depress me a little bit, Sanders. <laughs> It's like your life is valleys with a couple of peaks. <laughs> then after the top 10 list being printed, I got to go I got to go almost 10 years before the next highlight. <laughs> so we're talking we're talking three highlights. Yeah. Like three highlights. Um, so at the Valentine's Day King and Queen uh, dance, they announced the, the King and Queen of, of the dance. And that happens to be uh, my good friend, Marianne McBride, who this year, unlike seventh grade, actually did sign my yearbook. Remember in seventh grade, all I had, all I had to prove that I uh, had Marianne McBride in my life was my own handwriting with Marianne McBride's number. Acknowledging the existence of Marianne McBride. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yes. <laughs> In this year, um, this year she signs my yearbook. Um, she says, Matt, hey, uh, glad we became good friends this year. Hope to always be. Stay cool. Have fun with Christine. Better keep in touch. Love, Mayor. And she gives me her phone number. So, so this was I, I was good friends with Marianne McBride. My good friend Marianne McBride, because I was in her class for two years, seventh grade and 
and uh, in eighth grade. Uh, she is the queen of the uh, the Valentine's Day dance. John's the aforementioned John Smith is the uh, king of the Valentine's Day dance. The runner up. All right, so here's the here's the 1987-88 King and Queen's Court. Congratulations to our 1987-88 King and Queen Court pictured with our King and Queen, uh, John Smith and Marianne McBride. First runner-up, John Moser and er- Erica Santiago. As we found out, Erica Santiago was voted uh, best-looking. Along okay. with Marianne McBride. If we she was a good-looking girl. From, from she was a good-looking 13-year-old. She was a good-looking 13-year-old. Uh, to be honest, if I showed you this picture, you would tell me she was probably a good-looking 23-year-old. Yeah, you, you'd be like, you could predict it. No, no, I mean, in that picture. Oh, how old she, like she looks <laughs> old. Because you got to remember, gotcha. it's late 80s, so there's a lot of hair going on. And the hair just really takes away from the, from any youthful features that these kids might have. Um, so John Moser and Erica Santiago are on the king and queen court. Uh, Leon Davis, who was a big athlete, he was a 1973 kid who, um, who was younger. He missed the cutoff. Uh, Chris Clax, who was actually a 1972 kid who got left back. Okay. Uh, Kevin Riley, who Kevin was Riley. Um, he's a real prep kid, like super preppy kid. He had an older sister, Linda Riley, who probably was one of the better looking eighth graders when I was in seventh grader, seventh grade. So he had a lot of social cachet. Uh, Jay Anderson, who was a real fuck up, but everybody loved him. Well, of course, everybody always loves the real fuck up. And one Mr. Matt DeSantis. Matt DeSantis. I was the seventh runner-up in the king and queen voting. Now, here's what I think happened. Here's what I think happened. Is that John Smith and John Moser, who was, uh, who was one of the lead A-list preps, ended up splitting the vote. Right, the burners vote for John, the yeah. preps vote for for Moser, and there was a couple other guys on the court who were super popular dudes, and I had a bunch of friends, so I sneak on humble brag. because the the winner does not win with a majority; he only wins with a plurality. And you everybody were the Woodrow else. Wilson of that election. Yes. <laughs> yes. The bull moose comes in there and splits the vote between him and Taft, and you exactly. get elevated. Exactly. So here's how uh, here's how it goes down uh, on the on the day of uh, on the Valentine's Day dance. They call you down from the from the stands and and they pair you up so the king dances with the queen and and you go back and forth and you're supposed to dance with the eighth um eighth runner up one of the dudes who got 
who well, so let's see, who would the eighth runner up chick be? I would have probably been dancing with Pam Robleski. Pam who? All right. Pam Robleski was her name. Okay. She was probably one of the one of the Mary Beth Neal, maybe. I don't remember who she was, but uh probably she she would have garnered the least amount of votes on the on the Queen's court. Because I'm looking at I'm looking at um Carrie Schaefer, Val Gallucci, Sue Estevez, Chrissy Newman. Those were all super popular people. They would have gotten a lot of votes. I would have been dancing as the eighth runner-up. I would have been dancing with the girl who got the least or second least amount of votes. But because one of the dudes didn't show up, there was a mismatch. And it was a clusterfuck when it became time for them to play the song, uh, which was... What's the Bon Jovi cowboy song? Johnny like a used cowboy. to work. Cowboy. Yeah, no, I'm no, no, steel no, no, no. horse I ride. Like a steel I'm wanted horse dead or alive. I ride. Yes. Wanted dead or alive, yes. Yep. And I'm on it. Dead or dead alive. alive. So that's the song they play. So they, it, like a wedding, they let the king and queen dance first. And then the rest of the people are supposed to join in. But because there's an odd number of people, it's a real clusterfuck. So everything gets all mixed up. And at the end of the day, I end up dancing with Erica Santiago, who is not only the runner-up, but also voted best-looking. Okay. So I have a picture here with me and Erica Santiago. Best looking, tied for best looking. Tied. Girl at the Carl W. Get School. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, I'm riding pretty high. I, I, I get named to the court, which I totally unexpected. There's a lot of times where I thought I was going to get some type of recognition and it never came to fruition. I had no idea that I was even going to be in consideration regardless of how few votes I had there was enough guys in my social circle that were by definition by eighth grade social definition cooler than me that (laughs) you know would have gotten that vote but I got in I get in uh so that I'm riding high at some point during the dance it's all a blur but at some point during the dance I remember being in the center of a dance circle. Cutting a rug for the entire Carl W. Gets popular. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how long it lasted, but it made enough, it lasted long enough to make enough of an impact on enough people to make it into the yearbook. To make it into the signature of the yearbook. Uh, Matt, you're a babe. You have a nice butt. And what a body. You're an animal as a dancer. That's from Dom G. Uh, Somebody else writes, teach me some of your dance moves. Somebody else writes, you're a heck of a dancer. Hope Hope to party with you over the summer. So that's apparently what the lasting impression of me to all these people in eighth grade were what a great dancer I am. Yeah. Which is a little foreshadowing because if this was the, if this was the actual first episode to the Matt DeSantis Chronicles, 
this would be this would foreshadow my later life where I am actually a really good dancer. But it's a prequel. So it's a hack, you know. It's a hack yeah, device yeah, yeah. to to prove what, you know, what we already know is that I'm a good dancer. <laughs> We cut back to you it's know, a hack seventh, device. To, yes, to, we cut back to eighth grade me cutting a rug. Oh, that's where it must all. It's started. not foreshadowing. It's crafting the the past Correct. to match the, the <laughs> present. Correct. Correct. Um, so I have fond memories of seventh grade, and unlike the signatures in my seventh grade book which don't match how I remember seventh grade. These, the signatures, the feedback that I get from my colleagues jives with what I, I remember. Yeah. These are nice. And maybe it's because in, in seventh grade, remember how I didn't remember any of those people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was very weird to me because... <laughs> Because me being, but of course, that's the other thing I talked about about eighth grade. To me, seventh grade, to me, because I was the big fish in the pond in seventh grade because we were the last class of boys at that school. So to me, that's like 12 years old was fucking awesome. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for for me, I I don't have such great memories of that. Yeah, it blew me away. Like you, like, you, you, like, blacked it out. Well, in looking back on those signatures or thinking back on when we were looking back on them a couple of weeks ago, uh, I don't remember a lot of those people because I don't think a lot of those people were actually my friends. The people that signed your book? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because as I mentioned, in eighth grade now in my homeroom are Devin Perrine, James Doyle, John Hand, Marianne McBride, Julie Staub. Uh, Diane Zaberski. These are actually people who are my friends and been my friends for a long time, and and none of those people were in my seventh grade homeroom. Yeah. So I'm 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 back with my actual friends, and I have a little street cred, and I get a little more notoriety because of the seventh because of this eighth grade dance situation, right? So people, okay. I, I think it's a combination of I've learned a little bit since seventh grade. I have a little more confidence in seventh grade. So I'm only going to ask people who are my friends to sign my yearbook. And in addition to that, I think I'm actually a little cooler than I was in seventh grade. So the people You're starting have, to come into your own a bit. Yes. And people have nicer things. I'm getting more. Positive people aren't feedback. like, oh, fuck you, I hope you die in your yearbook. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> See, Go take and, a long walk off a short pier, asshole. Like the and if seventh grade. If one. you remember Trisha Laco, <laughs> yep. who, who, and remember there was a lot of psych in the seventh grade yearbook? There's no psych in the eighth grade yearbook. And anybody who psyched me in seventh grade, I did not ask to sign my eighth grade yearbook, apparently. Fool me once. I, I cut them out. I cut them out of my life. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody is awesome. No, because most of them still They're suck. not all awesome people. Like Damon, who, who, is, who I'm assuming is Damon Rajvalsky, says, Matt, you've been a dick at times, but you've been 
but you're cool at times also. So he's he's laying it on the line. He's telling me how it is, and, and he's being real with me. He says, the only thing wrong with you is your ability to play sports. You should practice more. <laughs> right. Tough crowd. But he's not being... He's not being an asshole. He's just, he's being real. Right? Yep. Um, who else is keeping it real? Um, who else is keeping it real? Uh, James Doyle. Matt, good luck in CBA. Don't throw any people on tables next year, okay? Where's my $20, you cheapskate? Just kidding. Get it. You James skate. <laughs> I must owe James money. Um, but for the most part, they're 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 more along the lines of uh, of Julie Staub. Matt, hey, what's up? Glad we were in the same class and glad we became friends. Good luck next year. Talk to you later. P.S. Good luck with Christine. That becomes a running theme. As people are wishing me good luck. In seventh grade, they were wishing me good luck to pass seventh grade, which was funny because, you know, yeah. I was not in danger of failing seventh grade. But this year, they're wishing me luck with with my girlfriends, which is nice. But there's a lot of nice accolades here. A lot of nice accolades here. Like Alan Gutierrez, remember Alan Gutierrez, who, uh, if Jay Kohler was my was my first real attempt to make a friend outside of my elementary school circles. Alan was my first successful attempt to make a good friend. He was in my seventh grade class. He was in my eighth grade class as well. Uh, and we had like, I guess we must have had like funny little sayings and, you know, like friend speak kind of thing. Yeah. He says, uh, Matt, it started with Quanton Wayward and it ended with he he her <laughs> which I kinda remember which was a which was a greeting that we would do to each other. Uh it was almost like uh aw shit. You know, but you couldn't say aw shit in eighth grade in, in middle school. So you'd go Quanton Wayward. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, it's it's like something an eighth grade kid would do, right? Uh, he says, "Though too bad you're leaving uh, next year. We won't do our handshake, so we must add a handshake." Signed, Alan Gutierrez. Yeah, uh, John John Hand says, "Matt, I'm glad uh, I'm glad to know you. Too bad you're going to CBA. I was really hoping you would go to Jackson. Uh, have a great summer, your amigo John Hand." Um, Matt, I've known you for at least two years now. Good luck next year. I'll probably see you. Have a good summer, Darren. Matt, glad we were friends again this year. Good luck in high school, your friend Curran. So these are nice, you know, these are people who are, you know, who either really liked me or, you know, weren't dicks. Yeah. So that's a huge change from seventh grade to eighth grade. But what I was curious about was what I would have written in people's yearbooks, right? Okay. Because if they look back at this and I wrote something douchey, well, then all they'll remember me as is that douche Matt DeSantis who, you know, 
wrote shitty things in my yearbook. But that, that wasn't really my M.O. So I don't think I would have written shitty things. And I found something to validate that. And it goes back to my good friend, Diane Zaberski. Diane Zaberski. So if you remember Diane Zaberski, she was um, in my elementary school. But we had a connection because her brother and I played on the same Little League team. He was a year older. Yep. In addition to that, I played on the CYO basketball team with Steve Beto, who was a couple years older than me. He's kind of a dick. Well, he was a burner kid, uh, long hair, was nice to me, but ran with a rough crowd. You're not going to let me sit here and besmirch the reputation of <laughs> Steve Beta. I will not let you sit here and besmirch mm-hmm. the, the good reputation of Steve Beto. Uh, he was a couple years older, and for some reason, Diane Zaberski had a connection to him and a crush on him. And I was that, that tie. So she became, we, I became her conduit to Steve Beta. So we kind of became friendly. And she writes in my yearbook, uh, Matt, well, I'm up to you now. So I guess they were passing books around. I wish you were in the high school next year. I don't want you to go to CBA. I've known you for many great years. You're such a crack up. You're one of the many people I will always remember because of your personality. I hope I see you over the summer. Call me sometime. Love you, Diane. And she gives me her number. Um, so that, that does something very important for me. It tells me what not only what Diane Zaberski thinks of me, but what kind of person Diane Zaberski was, right? She was a, the person who wrote, wrote nice things in people's yearbooks. Yeah, but still doesn't answer the question of what her memories of me are based on what I would have written in her yearbook, right? Yeah. So I don't know what Darren McBride thinks of me or John Hand thinks of me because I don't remember what I wrote in their yearbooks. But Diane Zaberski gives me a little insight because she has a postscript to her signature, to her inscription, and it says, "P.S. You're my favorite too." Well, not really my favorite, but one of my favorite. So what does that tell you? What? That? That she says, P.S., you're my favorite too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what does that tell you? That that she liked you? Not, not, Not that she liked me, but... In her yearbook, I wrote that she was my favorite. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I write, I was writing okay. nice Yeah, yeah, things. yeah, I get that. And she's saying she's your favorite, you're her favorite as well. Yes. Correct. Yeah, yeah, Correct. yeah. Sorry, sorry, so, man. That's, a, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> so, so I am writing nice things in Diane's yearbook. Therefore, I'm probably writing nice things in everybody's yearbook. I'm not some, some... I'm not delivering a version of myself that is not the true memory that that uh, that these people probably have of me. Yeah. Right? Because she, she may have forgotten who I am. 
But she's going to open her eighth grade yearbook one day and show her kids and get to the point where she comes across Matt DeSantis' signature and they'll read that and they'll say, Mommy, who's Matt DeSantis? And she'll say, oh, I don't remember. Let me see. And it starts off with, Diane, you're my favorite. And she says, I don't remember who this guy is, but he must have been a nice guy. Yeah. You don't seem very impressed with that. <laughs> that's how this that's what this because whole episode did you show your mom your yearbook did i show my mom my yearbook? is that what you just said about her no show? she shows her she shows her kids oh showing her kids the yearbook okay yeah. so you're going through that whole scenario it's like doesn't this seem like a great guy <laughs> this is all about hoping that somewhere she is still being like, oh, what a wonderful guy that is. Yeah. Even if she I think the more me. likely scenario is the okay. kids come across her yearbook. Okay. And they're like, who's Matthew, mom? Is this, was this your boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> Depending on what kind of kid she has, if the girls are probably teasing her about it or something, you know? Yeah, but so, either way, they, they I mean, can other end the than like, hey, kids, I'm breaking out the yearbook. I'm going to show you this great guy I knew 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I like to imagine it in a different way. It's probably more like the little fat kid in photos with my mom, Butch, and we're like, oh, uh, Butch had a crush on you. Ha, ah, Butch. <laughs> 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 but I have to imagine that everybody. But hey, man, if whatever makes you feel better about yourself, <laughs> go with it, man. The fact that the legend of Matthew DeSantis is living on in, in her household <laughs> and spread to her kids who one day will inherit that yearbook to show to their own children. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let me tell you about the great Matthew DeSantis. <laughs> You might know him as legendary podcaster Sanders now, but he was just simply Matthew DeSantis in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, Listen, we've we've recorded over two hours of my uh, memories and recollections of eighth grade, seventh and eighth grade of my middle school years, and. I only have one positive memory of the whole thing, and you're shitting all over it. <laughs> what? I'm talking about the legend of Matt DeSantis. Uh, oh, Lord. Good times. So, good times. It was good times. It was good times. So the, there's one other piece of business that that, um, that we should wrap up before we close the yearbook. Um, for good and that's the apparently ongoing saga with my seventh grade girlfriend christine so as a, as as you know i started to to date christine uh in seventh grade and i want to say we might have done one or two things over the summer together but probably not okay probably not probably we just kind of like talked on the phone or whatever but then eighth grade we must have gotten you know, quote unquote serious. Yeah. Because I do remember dating her, but I also do remember breaking up with her. 
No, I shouldn't say that because I don't remember breaking up with her. I remember not dating her because I dated Kirsten Panetti. Kirsten Panetti. The piccolo playing. Yep. Uh, piccolo playing. Jennifer piccolo Gray. playing a little cute. Doppelganger. Jennifer Gray looking Italian girl. <laughs> but here's what Christine writes uh, in my yearbook. Matt, I've known you for only a year, but it feels longer. If you do, you remember what he wrote in my seventh grade yearbook? Let me let's let's recap that. Yeah, let's do that. Let's recap that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's see here. This has gone down the rabbit hole of Matthew Sanders DeSantis's psyche. How it was developed. Uh, oh, there's not a lot of signatures. Why can't I find hers? Huh. Oh, here it is. It says, uh, Dear Matt, I'm so glad we met this year. Uh, and if we didn't meet this year, it just wouldn't be the same without you. Keep up the spa. Love, Christine. Keep okay. in touch over the summer. She gives me her phone number. Um, then in eighth grade... I d maybe she wasn't my girlfriend to start the year. Maybe we had gone off in the summer and done our own thing and came back and weren't boyfriend and girlfriend. Because there would have to have been a lot of drama for me to have Christine as my girlfriend to start the year, then break up with her, and then to have this drama unfold that I'm about to, I'm about to clue you in on. So the, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend to start the the year. Okay. But at some point, we have reconnected. So Matt, I've known you for only a year, but it feels longer. The time I've spent with you has been special and has meant a lot to me. Uh, I'm glad we have this friendship. So this is the end of the year. She's kind of recapping something, but she does. she just says friendship, and I hope it lasts a while. Then there's two or three lines that are scribbled out. And in the margin, she writes, it was too much. So apparently she has self-edited herself. It was too much? It was too much. She didn't want to reveal what she had revealed, so she decided to... Uh, she felt like she was giving too much. Okay, I got Too it. much. She crosses it out. Uh, then she continues, uh, I've learned to look inside people and not on the outside... But I like both inside. I like you both inside and outside. Don't change. Love always, Christine. Good luck. Uh, good luck with CBA. Yeah. So my guess is here's how it went down. Was that we had started to date at some point. She was my girlfriend at some point on the latter half of eighth grade. And once I made the decision to go to CBA, I was like, hey, man, you can't tether, you can't tether this dirigible down. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're going to be surrounded by dudes for the next four years. I'm going off to an all-boys school. Last thing I need is a girlfriend. <laughs> yes. I'm ready to be surrounded by dudes for nine hours a day. <laughs> Plus the bus ride. Yep. 
two hours there, two hours back, right? So yep. that's my guess. That's my guess. What uh, Christine had edited, because she didn't do a very good job of crossing it out, she writes, you probably know I still like you, but I thought I'd say it anyway. So it says, I'm glad we have this friendship, and I hope it lasts a while. You probably know I still like you, but I thought I'd say it anyway. I've learned to look inside people, blah, blah, blah. Right. So that's a that seems like a reasonable narrative, right? That I decide I'm going to cut ties. I got to go sow my wild oats this summer before I go off. To, sow my wild oats. To, to all boys school. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Yeah, like I'm but moving on, babe. There's more to the story here because she signs my yearbook several more times. And in one of the signatures, she writes, in a different place in the book, not even like just a continuation of the, you know, of the original, she writes, Matt, best, best of luck with Kristen. She's probably perfect for you. C, which is, C is Christine. Kristen... I'm guessing is Kristen Donnelly, who is a seventh grader, cute seventh grader. Yeah, she, I, her older brother, I played soccer with, um, and he was a year ahead of me. That was okay. I wasn't like friends with him, but I knew him. Yeah, but um, he had a younger sister, Kristen Donnelly. And I just vaguely remember something about Kristen Donnelly. I remember talking to Kristen Donnelly at field day. (laughs) Of all the things that I've forgotten about middle school, talking to Kristen Donnelly at field day is one of them. It's one of the things I remember. Yeah. I I don't know why I remember that, but I do. And... For some reason, that made an impact on Christine Matajewski. Now, why it made an impact on her, I don't know. Because I don't think Kristen Donnelly was my girlfriend. I like the confusion of everything. Uh, Why was this even going on? <laughs> okay, so now I remember. Okay, I found her in the seventh grade section of the yearbook. Uh, my memory of Kristen Donnelly, she was much cuter than she actually is, but she's a little redheaded Irish chick. I think she was relatively popular for a seventh grader. But. I don't. I don't think she was my girlfriend. I don't know why that would have made such an impression on Christine, and why Christine would have would have had such a problem with that. But then Christine follows up with Matt. I've decided just to let things go <laughs> because someday it might happen. CM. <clears throat> now here's the thing. You only had the yearbook for about three days. What's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, going like, on with this yearbook, man? <laughs> Yo, they gave you the yearbook. It's produced by 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 the eighth graders. 
There's a club. There's yearbook club. They take all the pictures and they lay them out. It's very like pre Photoshop. Yeah. Right. And then you you put them into some like prefab design, and you send it off to the Jostens company, and they just you know they print it up for you, and it's like under the wire. They get it to you two days before school ends, and then you get a bunch of people to sign it, and then you never see these people again. It's done. That's how it goes. Yeah. So I don't know how all of this drama unfolded with Christine and Kristen and multiple signatures. And you can see each one, each one of these Christine Matajewski signatures is a little more frenzied and a little more harried than the than the previous one. So the first one is nice penmanship and, you know, it's done with purpose. And the next one looks like she grabbed it, you know, as it was getting passed around the lunchroom. And then the last one looks like, ah, she stole it out of my book bag and was writing, you know, with, with like a pen she found in the garbage can before I get back to my desk kind of deal. Yeah. But, Again, I only had the yearbook. There's, there wasn't enough time for all this to unfold. So I'm guessing there was something that happened. Trauma going on in three days of yearbook possession. Yeah, exactly. In which I had gotten and lost the memories of a seventh grade girlfriend and managed to alienate my one true love. <laughs> Which is even more confusing because Christine Matajewski was definitely my freshman year girlfriend. (laughs) 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 Because she came to the first CBA dance. Which was like, uh, I don't know, it was like a a back to school kickoff dance. Yeah, I remember they would have those, the back to school dances. Which I never wanted to, but they have. Yeah. Really popular because they had a live band that would play. Yeah. Uh, you know this from going to an all boys school. Yeah, Typically, that's what they do. They have all these dances where it's like boys would show up and girls would just show up in groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and typically, the kids who go to an all boys private school have, have a very good reputation of being smart and good athletes and and handsome and, and clever. Handsome. <laughs> witty and very good vocabulary and from liberty township <laughs> so i brought her to that dance and i remember that because i got my my parents uh i, I got in trouble because i sat in the front seat and she sat in the back seat but one i didn't know any better you know i thought yeah. it'd be rude to make my Mom, drive all alone. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to do the noble thing and keep my mom company. Yeah. And then, like the gentleman that you are. Yeah. And then, after we got picked up, I sat in the back seat with Christine and I got an earful from my dad on once we dropped her off, you know, and how rude that was and blah, blah, blah. But I never got the playbook. Matt, here's what you should do. You should open the door for a lady. You should, you know, you should do this. You should sit in the back, et cetera, et cetera. Early. It was like, I, I, you know, I lost my copy of my instructions and I failed to, 
you know, I failed to do the right thing, but I, no one ever told me that. How am I supposed to know? They yeah. spent my formative dating years making fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You think I'm going to step up and be Don Juan DeMarco? <laughs> it's, not, it's not ingrained, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So she was my, she was my, she was my freshman year girlfriend. So we, we happened to mend fences and, and date. Um, and then at some point between eighth grade and my senior year of high school, she ended up moving down the street from me. Okay. Talk about kismet. Yeah. But she was dating this douchebag who was like, who was like the uh, Jason Bateman, Teen Wolf 2 version of me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that was lesser than Teen Wolf 1. Right. He was, a, he was a lesser facsimile. You know, short, stocky guy with brown hair. Yep. But he was a douche. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure he's a douche still, but uh, he ended up dating her. She ended up leaving Jackson High School and going to some weird small prep school um, to never be heard from again. Oh. I have no idea where she is. You haven't Googled her out of curiosity? No. Yeah. No, because what am I going to do about it, you know? Yep. So, Christine Matajewski, wherever you are, I apologize for not sitting in the back seat with you on the way to the CBA back-to-school dance. While I was raised better than that, I was not necessarily given the tools to succeed in the situation I was put in. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know any better. Yeah, I didn't know any better. I was a feral, you know, I was a feral cat amongst, amongst tigers. Feral cat. <laughs> so that's it, man. That is. Well, that was a fun little stroll down <laughs> memory was, lane. I hope it was fun for you. It was kind of stressful for me. Although well, yeah, I do. I mean, I... it's because you're, you know, you're going through all these. I mean, those are kind of raw emotions. It's like, where'd my life go wrong type of things, you know? Like, what happened? You know, one minute I'm I'm the center of the dance circle at the Carl W. Getz Halloween dance. Yeah. And the next minute I'm holed up in a pitch-roofed room, recording <laughs> a podcast <laughs> in lieu of therapy. <laughs> in lieu of therapy, yes. <laughs> so, uh, I think that closes the chapter of pubescent adolescent Matthew Philip DeSantis, the eighth runner-up, uh, technically the seventh runner-up. Seventh runner-up. King and Queen Dance. Although, I'm looking at this, I also apparently got Most School Spirit, which is pretty that's a pretty good uh, superlative. Most school spirit. People tend to tend to uh, notice that kind of stuff when you're when you're into the school, you know. Yeah, and you were probably big into that, right? Yeah, I probably was. I don't 
know specifically what I would have done to make that impression, but you know, I wore a Halloween costume on Halloween, like that kind of thing. Yeah. So I guess that just means you're, you know, I I participated in the spirit days. Didn't get kicked out of any class or anything. So all's well that uh all's well that ends well, I guess. I don't know, man. I think you did all right. I guess looking back, no regrets, right? Yeah. Why would you regret? You were doing well there. It's true. You were doing well. You're still doing well, man. Your money and you don't even know it, Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> if I could only get Diane Zabersky to return my phone calls. <laughs> no kidding. You know, it's like a movie. You gotta go back. Oh, if only I would have made things right with Diane Zabersky. <laughs> I'd have somebody to come. I'd have a friend to come over and eat the eight pounds of pork butt I'm about to, I'm about to cook up tomorrow. I know, like, I see Brian's picture, and it's like, man, it's like, what are you going to do with all that meat? Right, you know? right. Like, I, I have stuff, and it's like, oh, I'd love to cook that, but it's like, oh, man, I don't really want to have people over. Right. <laughs> Which is even it worse. Involves, it involves so many things, knowing people. Waking up early and paying attention, devoting a whole day to one activity. Right, right. <laughs> Ah, uh, well, listen, man, thanks for indulging. No, I'm glad we got thanks it done. I'm glad we got episode 167 into the can. Into the books. Into the books. Uh, yep. Well, then on that note, with apologies to Girk's brother, we'll see you guys next week. Adios, Fredo. Mm-hmm.